there are generally two things that I want to focus on when presenting the creative to a client. Um, and the, the first, and I think the most important is the why, what is the justification for why we have done this or why we've included this instrument, why we're including this long breakdown section, why this tempo, sure. whatever it is. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot that goes into that. If you don't have the why, then why are you doing it in the first place? I exactly. mean, it's hard to implement something that you don't believe in too. That's <laughs> so true. Welcome to Audio Branding, the hidden gem of marketing. Sound plays a more important role in human behavior and our decision-making than you may realize. In this podcast, I'll help you understand the art and science of sound so you can better influence others in business and your life. I'm your host, Jody Krangle. Let's delve a little deeper. This is the first part of my interview with Eric Singer. My next guest's first love was audio, but it took a while to get back to it. He's been with Coop Studios for 16 years, but before then, he spent time as a magazine editor, a photographer, and even a semi-pro football player. I have to ask him about that one. <laughs> now a partner at Coop, his focus is specifically on sonic branding and music for advertising and film. His name is Eric Singer, and I'm looking forward to hearing what he has to say about where audio branding is now and where it's heading into the future. How does he let their clients know that their audio is important? How does Coop differentiate themselves in a steadily growing audio-forward market? Eric's answers to this are going to be interesting. If you're trying to decide why audio branding is important for your company, this discussion will give you an insider's look. As always, if you have questions for my guest, you're welcome to reach out through the links in the show notes. And if you have questions for me, visit audiobrandingpodcast.com, where you'll find a lot of ways to get in touch. Plus, subscribing to the newsletter will let you know when the new podcasts are available. And now, here's my interview with Eric Singer. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. What early memory of sound do you have that moved you? Um, my earliest memory of sound is really one of my earliest memories at all. Mm -hmm. And it is of being on the floor of my bedroom and playing records on my Fisher Price turntable. Ooh, it was, I remember it was a, those. Remember, like a little suitcase? <laughs> <do>. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, my parents uh, had excellent taste in music and, uh, and uh, apparently an inordinate amount of trust for me because they trusted me with their good records. And I would listen to Sgt. Pepper's and the Magical Mystery Tour um, pretty much every weekend you know I, I don't know what they were doing they were sleeping it off or something but i would just sit there and <laughs> and just devour those records um and i think one of the cool things about those records besides the music which is obviously iconic is that they played with what we'd call now sound design um and i don't know what we called it back then but it was just you know it was non-musical things or it was music that was treated in a really creative way you know Foley? It, it, yeah, I don't know. right <laughs> yeah um, it, you know from simple things like just playing voices backwards to more you know soundscaping and it just sounded like so much fun to me um so i think that's what planted the seed for me in terms of of a love for audio 
And then uh, to continue with the botanical analogy, I guess the, the miracle grow that got dumped all over that seed. Do you remember the show Northern Exposure? I do. Okay. <laughs> so I wanted to be Chris in the morning on K-Bear. Remember the John Corbett ca- uh, character? Yep, yep. So, you know, he's just so cool. He's got the long <laughs> hair. He's an ex-convict, but he's a yep. bookworm. He's this reformed criminal renaissance man who's constantly being pursued by beautiful women. I was like, okay, that's that's who I want to be. I want to talk about Nietzsche and Kant on the radio in a station in the middle of Alaska. So I... Uh, that's that's just what I wanted to do. I got going on the life of crime thing immediately, uh, and, then, uh, and then and then I was able to start pursuing the the radio dream uh, my senior year in high school. Mm-hmm. I got to ride the short bus to the big school in our county where they had vocational training, oh. and bizarrely, one you know it was like auto body repair. Um, you know, grocery store management, and somehow radio fell into that vocational category. So it was what? this. It was this amazing <laughs> opportunity. You know, that um, sounds awesome. It was so cool. So I got to go up to this to this big school. I think it was three days a week. I'd spend the afternoon up there um, doing radio station stuff. So I got to have a show. Um, I got to play records. I got to to talk about the records, and that was. I think I loved the overall experience. So it wasn't just playing the records, but it was this multi-sensory experience where, you know, you're looking at the album art, you're reading the liner notes. Um, You know, the center of it was the music, but I loved talking about it just as much. So that's kind of what got me going. Um, I just, I I think I, I wanted to play music, talk about music, and I loved the the format of of audio only. I love it. Yeah, so that's a great background. I mean, certainly you learn a lot about the music you're playing, and I guess that would give you a background in what to use for advertising. I mean... <laughs> a little bit, yeah. And, yeah. you know, that was totally not on my radar at that point, but it, it started to get on my radar uh, in college. So I went on mm-hmm. to, to study communications, um, and I didn't know what I wanted to do with it, whether it was public relations or, you know, maybe it was still radio. By that point, I'd realized that, that you know, radio DJs made, you know, minimum wage. And, <laughs> yeah, uh, like it, nothing. <laughs> yeah, it and it's gotten did, worse. <laughs> totally. Didn't feel like a super viable career path. Um, plus, it seemed like Alaska was a really long way to hitchhike to. So I... Um, I I didn't know if I was going to pursue the radio thing, but I managed to get some voiceover gigs um, in college and then after college. So that kind of kept me loosely plugged into the audio scene and got me thinking about advertising. And um, then I got I got some a series of jobs that were sort of advertising adjacent. I had a corporate job. Uh, for this international company that was it was starting a new U.S. subsidiary, where I got to be exposed to, to advertising strategy for the first time, and um, after that, I was a public information officer for the city of Boulder. So I started um, I started writing for the first time professionally. You know, I'd, I'd always That's been an interesting transition. Yeah. What? What made you do that? <laughs> I, I, I don't like most things in my life. It's just been dumb luck. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I had sort of this this PR background and um, uh, 
I had um, I had some interest in the in the stuff that, that the city of Boulder is a pretty unique place in, in that they're very forward thinking in terms of taking the initiative and new technologies and things like that. So it was a it was an interesting time and an interesting place to to get to be the the mouthpiece of a of a local government. Sure. Um, <laughs> And then that led me, uh, after that, my next job was as a magazine editor. And um, oh, I see where this is going. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> it all, this, this meandering path led me to yep. where I am today. So I, I realized that, yeah, I'm an okay writer. I'm not great. I'm passable. But I found out that I'm a way better editor than I am a writer. Like, I'm great at letting somebody else do all the work and then coming in at the end and taking credit for it. Uh, and that's pretty much what my job is now. <laughs> so, you know, we, <laughs> well, we have this extremely talented, dedicated team of composers yep. and sound designers, and my job is mostly to stay out of their way. Um, but it's also to serve as an editor of sorts. Mm-hmm. Um, we were just working on a, on a new... Um, overall audio brand package for for a new client and the initial round of demos was um, 30 second music pieces for uh, a series of television and radio commercials and we did 12 demos that were all really good but Mm -hmm. 12 demos that's way too many to present to a client you know I think that is true yeah right it it devalues the creative when Mm -hmm. when you turn around yeah okay so we had it for 10 days we did 12 demos um it makes it seem like less work is is required there than actually went into it it's just that our team is really good and we have three composer teams working on this thing so we tend to to produce a lot so Mm -hmm. um so How part do you of whittle it down exactly. So that that and that's exactly it. You know, part of my job is is often purely redactive. Just figure out which six of those, or maybe it's four of those, to present to to the client, and um, that's an an interesting uh, art form in and of itself. Um, and then another part of the job is more literal editing where the composers will write up descriptions, and I'll rework those descriptions to kind of bridge the gap between the client and our creative team. So a lot of the job is is also just translation, you know, translating from from musical language to non-musical language and vice versa. Um, And I think the that you know I'm being self-deprecating about you know most of my job is just staying out of the way but but you know to in the interest of not devaluing anyone else who does the same role that I do I'll, I'll say that that the presentation of the creative sometimes is every bit as important as the the creative itself I know we're all dealing with a lot these days, so I really wanted to acknowledge those that have gone out of their way to leave an honest review of this podcast. Like Martha, who writes, Fave. Listening to this podcast really helped my company's audio branding. I love the two-part episode with Tom Emanson. They complemented each other well, too. Thanks, Martha. I really appreciate your comments, and I'm glad you enjoyed the show with Tom. That's one of my favorites, too. He was really great to talk to. And for those of you that are interested, you can also leave a voice review now off of the main podcast page. It's super simple and fun, and I'd love to hear what you think. Now, back to the show. 
Oh, yeah, sure. And I mean, you need to know what goes on behind the scenes to create these bits and pieces so right. that you know what to expect and so that you know what is good and what isn't good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I, I to give an example of that, um, you know, one of these demos we just created, uh, the composer made a very deliberate decision to record hand claps as part of a, a percussion part for the song. Sure. So part of my job when presenting that demo to our client is not just to call attention to it, uh, say, hey, yeah, so listen, you'll hear some hand claps come in halfway through, but also to explain why we added that. And yeah, you know, maybe what is it the, meant to make you feel? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, so maybe the simple answer is that even though the client is a tech company, we want the song to have a human feel because part of their brand DNA is people first or some such corporate speak. Um, but then, you know, take <laughs> it as... I hope it actually has a basis in reality, <laughs> but okay. <laughs> but o- often, you know, we're, we're dealing with, with uh, you know, abstract concepts like that. Sure. And, and we've got to figure out a way to express those sonically. Um, you know, and then you could take that a step further. So why did we record actual hand claps here instead of relying on the thousands of great sounding hand clap samples that we have in our libraries and maybe that's because we want to introduce a feeling of imperfection um you know without getting too esoteric i I think there's there are generally two things that i want to focus on when presenting the creative to a client um and the, the first and i think the most important is the why what is the justification for why we have done this or why we've included this instrument why we're including this long breakdown section why this tempo sure. whatever it is yeah and there's there's a lot that goes into that if you don't have the why then why are you doing it in the first place i exactly. mean it's hard to implement something that you don't believe in too that's <laughs> so true um and i have to say that that focusing on the why has not only improved our success rate in terms of nailing the ask in the very first round of demos Mm. um, but it's also really improved our process internally also Um, I was gonna ask you what your process is actually yeah I'm I'm curious because I imagine it takes quite a lot to get the client convinced that they actually need this in the first place so how do you get them to think of this (laughs) oh man no doubt no doubt Um, in in terms of getting the the client to to think about this stuff and to and to invest in in what it takes because it's it's not insignificant um you know we we typically will bid a project like this with a you know kind of that classic gold silver bronze tiered pricing model you know bronze gets you the most basic package that's entry level um, you know, whereas gold is like, hey, if you gave us an unlimited amount of money or, you know, a reasonably limited amount of money, um, yeah. we, here's what we would love to do for your brand. Um, and most of the time when clients do pick the, the bronze or the silver package, they end up adding things on because they learn themselves during the process. Um, you know, the, the, there's no better way, I think, to emphasize the value uh, in what we do than by working collaboratively with the client or with the agency and really digging in 
deep. Um, you know, we're, I think most people here would consider themselves artists first, but sure, we're also yeah. data nerds. Um, we love getting our hands dirty and figuring out, you know, what is, what's the strategy behind this? Yeah. I'm, I'm curious also because one of my first questions for a client like that would be, how much money are you spending on license-free music from a directory? You know what I mean? Right. Because they're putting a huge amount of content out there. And if they're using a different piece of music every time, that's a lot of money they're pretty much wasting. It, it is. I, I think you're, you're so right about that being such a, a, a missed opportunity to, you know, you're, you're allocating dollars towards something that doesn't add to your brand equity at all. When you use... Well, yeah. And also their competitor could be using the same piece of music. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, that's, that's always a part of the conversation when we're uh, talking with a, a client who maybe, you know, maybe they've come to us for just an audio mix or it's just hey, yeah we want you to find us a good voiceover talent we're going to use a music track from art list or whatever and it's it's challenging to to be faced with that situation when when you know what you're up against there is they're weighing you know the example you gave they're spending money each time they use a needle drop track and that was the 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 model of that it's been for for many many years but these days with the subscription based models where you can pay 15 or 30 dollars a month for unlimited music you know the 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 financial investment by the client there is almost nothing so it's it's very difficult now to make the argument of hey you're wasting your money on on this royalty free music because well cause they still are but they are, they are. <laughs> it's, it's just a lot less yeah, it's just the, but, the cost of lunch yeah exactly <laughs> but but like like i was saying they, their nearest competitor could be using the same piece of music they are because they have the same access totally so totally. yeah why not be different <laughs> yeah i mean th I, and i i think that's a, a really really compelling argument to make because nobody wants to you know their ceo to see you know no marketing director wants their ceo to see their competitors using the same music as as them and oh yeah so, you know as usual a fear-based argument is often the most effective well yeah unfortunately that's kind of how us humans work <laughs> sometimes not all the time but sometimes <laughs> totally yeah um you know the to to get back to to your question about our process um i would say is about that initial brief um and most of the time clients come to us even if they're working with an ad agency without a brief and that has its pluses and its minuses um it's it's nice in the sense that we can often get involved before they've really thought things through uh, that is key, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. There, it, it it tends to be much more challenging to to create um, an audio brand for for a, an organization that already has either either pieces of it, or you know, they want it. They, they they're just not sure what they want to do, but they have pieces that they need to retrofit. Um, it's Significantly. In that case, I guess, wouldn't it be like a an uh, like an upgrade or like a right. refresh rather than yeah, yeah. and and but those it's tricky. are I, I understand. they're they're tricky although they're fun and they're in their own way. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we've done a few refreshes um, or versions of the McDonald's theme. Ba -da -ba -ba -bum, 
we've done jazz versions or sleepy versions for breakfast offerings and all these things. And that that can be really, really fun. You know, when you've got a very tight prescriptive formula, hey, it needs to be these notes, this this progression. Um, that's a, that's a pretty simple ask, but when it they've when already invested in it exactly, too, right? yeah, exactly. Um, but where it's more challenging is when it's a gray area. <laughs> so we ask whether no matter where they are on their their brand journey, um, we ask a ton of questions, and that might range from overall brand things like what's your brand purpose? And those might be things that that get them thinking about themselves sometimes for the first time. Obviously, with a bigger organization, they've got brand books, they've got brand Bibles, they they know who their brand is. But small, mid-sized organizations or even large organizations that are new or doing a rebrand, um, that's a, a really fun opportunity to kind of get in on the ground floor and help them craft their overall brand beyond the sound portion. And then we'll also ask things like, if you ha- if you could have any celebrity endorser, who uh-huh. would that be? You know, and that that may not, you know, that that's not necessarily about sound. That's not like a, a, you know a question about if you could have a voice for your brand, who would it be? It's that's about the personality of yeah, that I was celebrity, say. right? Yeah, their brand. Really? Yeah. Who do you want to piggyback on which brand? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. And then, you know, finally, we'll we'll get to the audio stuff eventually, you know, with questions like um, many of us associate sounds with colors. If if your brand has a sonic color, what is it? And that might be something from your brand's visual color palette or totally outside of it. You know, it might be that your your um, your your brand colors in your visual brand book are shades of blue and gray or something but you want your audio brand to portray a sense of warmth so that that color might be yellow or orange or something like that so we something complementary to yeah. the blue and the gray yeah that's a tricky question though because if your visual brand doesn't match your audio brand isn't that like a disconnect that really doesn't work for your brand in I, general yeah i think it can be it's it's definitely a challenging thing you know as, as I was yeah. trying to, to make the point earlier about the um, about working with existing assets um, that's that's a that can be a real challenge especially if it's a, a an organization that's been around a long time and they may have brand elements that they're using that don't necessarily work for them and that's a that can be an awkward position you know where it's a little above our pay grade to comment on what's uh what, what's working in your visual brand and what's not so we try to stay away from that <laughs> yeah that can definitely be. and i mean i guess it depends also on who you're talking to are you generally talking to the person in charge of the the checking like like yeah. the the checkbook or are you in talking with the person in the pr or marketing department who has to you know um work with the CEO of the company who may or may not like what they're doing. Absolutely. <laughs> that can be really tricky because then I guess you guys are even lower on that totem pole and then you have to figure out how you're going to get anything done. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Uh, it, we're, we're definitely, um, it, it feels like audio is almost always an afterthought. So it's, uh, it, it's, a, it's a tricky position to be in, but it's also kind of fun to fly below the radar. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. I can understand. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot that goes into it. 
Are you looking for ways to improve your company's or podcast's impact? You'd be surprised how powerful the use of an intentional audio branding strategy can be. Want to know more? I have a free downloadable PDF that gives you my five tips for implementing an intentional audio strategy at voiceoversandvocals.com slash audio branding strategy. That location does ask to put you on a mailing list just to send you updates on when the new podcasts come out. But if you really don't want to give your email out, I understand. Just contact me directly. My email is all over my website and I'll make sure you get that PDF without needing to sign up anywhere. If you do sign up though, you also get access to a resources section called The Studio, where I have videos, white papers and PDFs, discounts from my guests and snippets of audio from my guests that no one else gets to hear. So maybe it's worth your while, totally up to you. And of course, if you're looking for voiceovers, you can get in touch with me about that too. Now, back to the podcast. So do people ever actually um, like figure out the emotion that their company is meant to evoke? They often do. Um, they often have gone through that thought process as, as part of their, their visual branding development. Um, but sometimes they, they may not have, have thought that through or they haven't thought it through to the extent that's required to manifest something to reflect that. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, it's one thing to say, like, oh, in, yeah, right? we want to have a human feel. <laughs> well, what yeah. does that mean? <laughs> and I guess that's the, the second piece getting back to the to um, to presenting creative. You know, you have the, the why. That's the most important thing. Um, but the um, the second piece of it is the emotional and the subjective aspects of it. And, and we have less control over that side. Sure. There may be a really great strategic reason why we chose, let's say, a piano as the main instrument in a piece of music. And that reason may totally resonate with, let's say, the, the agency strategist. Um, but if the CMO of the client company was forced to take piano lessons as a kid and now has a deep-rooted hatred for that instrument, yeah. that track's probably dead in the water. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, as a voice actor, I get that all the time, right? Totally. Whether or not you get hired is totally subjective. Someone might love my voice, but another person, it might remind them of their ex-wife. And I'm it's, just, I'm uh, done. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and there's not a damn thing you can do about nope, it, right? absolutely nothing. <laughs> nope, nope. That's just the way it is. Yeah. It's, it's, also... Yeah, these sensibilities change geogra like geography-wise too, right? So uh, the sensibilities sure. that we in North America might accept could be totally different in, say, India, you know, which is a huge market. So absolutely, I, there's all sorts of aspects of this that come into play. It's really fascinating, actually. <laughs> yeah, it it really is, and and you know the um, the idea of something totally subjective killing a really great piece of work is is yeah. it could be really scary mm -hmm. um and it also it becomes even more scary when we're not the ones presenting the work sometimes we we work um primarily with ad agencies that's our biggest single category of client ad agencies um and when we're not the ones presenting to the end client. You know, we may make a presentation to the the creative team of the agency, and there are times when that's that's it. We're we're done at that point, 
for that phase of the project, they're going to go then to the client and present our work on behalf of us. And that may be because they're white labeling us, or it may just be because of internal politics or, or other practical reasons. Um, and if it has to go down like that, I just try to arm them with all the best talking points. This has been part one of our interview. I hope you'll tune in next week for part two. Well, that's the end of this episode. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, why not tell a friend about this podcast? It's available in all the usual locations. Until next time. Until next time.